Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talist and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. Today's episode will be about ransomware, to pay or not to pay. Over the past few years, there has been an increasing number of ransomware attacks, often targeted to its critical infrastructure, with the potential to create a national emergency anywhere in the world. Indeed, on 12th of May 2022, Costa Rica declared national emergency amid Conti ransomware attacks. In this episode, we explore the typical style of ransomware attacks and how they have evolved, look at who is carrying them out, and discuss some best practice strategies. It is my pleasure today to welcome two fantastic guests, Bob Burns, Chief Product Security Officer at Thales, and Paul Chichester, Director of Operations at the UK National Cybersecurity Centre. Bob and Paul, a very warm welcome to you. And uh, can you please say a few words before we start the questions? Starting with you, Bob. Yeah, certainly. Uh, uh, first off, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to to be here and discuss such a timely topic. It's obviously front of mind, both uh, in the press and, and in our businesses today, uh, both for ourselves as well as our customers. So I think it's, uh, I think it's a, good, uh, a good, important topic, and I'm glad to be here with Paul uh, to uh, review our, our collective notes and experiences and, and hopefully share with the audience uh, some best practices. I very much look forward to that. And you, Paul? Um, well, thank you. Yes. And just to echo uh, Bob's comments there, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to come along and talk to you about this really important topic today. I think from the UK's National Cybersecurity Centre's perspective, this is certainly right up there at the top, if not the top of the threats that we are concerned about for the UK. And we, we talk a lot about state threats, but fundamentally, the thing that will affect the majority of uh, people in the UK, be it citizens or business or government, uh, is uh, a, a criminal, cyber criminal, and particularly at the moment, ransomware threat. It's a threat that is prevalent and relevant to anybody uh, across the UK or the world, really, as, as somebody who might fall a victim to it. So I think for us, it's really important to uh, have a chance to talk to people about making them aware of that threat, but also talking through, hopefully, uh, some of the things that people can usefully do to counter that threat and defend themselves from it. So really looking forward to having that conversation today. Thank you, Paul. And, uh, and, and indeed, one year on from the high-profile colo- colonial pipeline attack, what does the current ransomware landscape look like as far as you see it, Paul? So I think, I mean, we find ourselves in quite an interesting moment because I think certainly um, following on from uh, the attacks last year and through last year, we certainly were seeing a significant increase in ransomware. I think many people have reported that uptick. Uh, we were seeing you know, more high-profile attacks. We were seeing higher payments. We were seeing a diversification, I think, in the uh, murder surprise of the, of the adversary. So you know, not just extortion from the ransomware perspective, but also um, you know, the follow-on kind of extortion through the threat of leaking data. 
uh, and so what some are calling double extortion and in actually increasingly sort of seeing that just becoming the latter part so actually just extorting organizations with the threat of leaking information uh, not even necessarily encrypting uh, the information in the first place so i think you know it's it's a really um, a dynamic landscape uh, one that uh, continues to change perhaps unsurprisingly given that criminals are know, renowned for being sort of adept at changing their tactics very rapidly uh, and making our life as defenders uh, really hard. So I think that's sort of, you know, have been the, the story of the last 12 months. And I think at the moment, actually, starting to really wonder, um, you know, is since the Ukraine crisis, a slight drop off, dare I say, of, of some of the, the, the attacks now, again, you know, can, can think about why that may be. But it's certainly, I think, a space that, you know, we continue to need to be very vigilant on and just to see how that threat changes uh, in the months to come. Absolutely. And you, Bob, what is your perspective? Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I agree with uh, a lot of uh, uh, Paul's uh, comment, commentary uh, and direction. I think as someone who was uh, in the Southeast U.S. and directly impacted uh, by that uh, particular attack against a colonial pipeline, um, for me, from my perspective, uh, I see it really as a, as a pivot point in the, uh, in the publication and, and publicity surrounding the threats of, of ransomware. Uh, Clearly, for what I've seen or what I experienced in the U.S., is that the you know ransomware attacks were prevalent um, prior to this. Um, however, they went largely unreported. But the Colonial Pipeline event really pivoted uh, a lot of different resources and attention towards this, um, uh, especially at the U.S. government level. Um, I know recently we've seen the White House uh, Executive Security Order come out regarding this, um, attempting to improve the government uh, interaction and relations uh, to be able to prepare uh, us for these types of attacks. Um, uh, and I also think we saw a change in the attacker's tactics. I think that the uh, the attention that this attack got um, has really resulted in uh, probably uh, either uh, better vetting by the attackers and or we've seen uh, spin-off uh, attacking companies uh, spin down uh, after a successful attack to try to lower their profile. Um, I think ultimately also, I think this additional tension uh, is a bit of a, uh, a, a good thing uh, in that it's increasing uh, the dialogue around cyber hygiene, around what companies and people can do to try to protect themselves and lower the risks, not only to ourselves individually and personally, but also at the corporate and infrastructure level. Um, I, think, uh, I, I think we're seeing uh, that uh, the attacks are still increasing, so these effects of the Changes and the additional tension um, have yet to take into to be taken into account, um, but I'm hopeful uh, that this additional focus and and additional resources being put into uh, challenging this problem is is going to benefit us all in the long run. Thank you, Bob. So you just said that uh, we're seeing an increase uh, uh, in ransomware attacks. So why are we observing this increases in the number and perhaps the scale of ransomware attacks? So what specifically has caused this? Well, um, I, you know, it's it's uh, you know, I'd have to speculate, uh, not being an attacker myself, um, but I think there's some really clear evidence and, and obvious evidence is uh, it really comes down to money. Um, the amount of money that we're seeing uh, being successfully uh, extracted from companies in ransomware attacks is steadily increasing. 
Um, I had recently read a report from a, a company called Chain Analysis who were reporting uh, against the, uh, the cryptocurrency endpoints for a lot of these companies. And the average payments over the last three years have gone up fairly dramatically. In fact, any company would be happy to see a revenue increase like this, where they've gone from uh, in 2019 going from 88,000 average payment to 20, I'm sorry, uh, uh, going from uh, a uh, average payment in 2019 of 25,000 to 88,000 in 2020 and 118,000 in 2021. So anyone can see that the, the fact that the, the profits are flowing and that it's a profitable business, it's easy to see that these attacks uh, are attractive to, to many people uh, as, a, as a revenue source. And what's your take on it, Paul? Um, so I think again, it's sort of important to sort of look at the the you know, maybe some of the the geographical differences in that sort of um, uh, sort of trending on on the sort of the, the frequency or the the threat itself. Because I think certainly from a, a very sort of um, parochial UK point of view, I think we've seen that that number of attacks plateau um, uh, from from the start of this year. And again, you know why that is, I think is still you know again very hard to sort of talk about. Um, proving sort of causality but I do think that um, there are a number of areas that may be perhaps showing that we're starting to actually have an impact so I don't think necessarily you know it's hard to say whether the the, the number of attempted attacks is going down but certainly the the amount of impact that they're having I think is um, plateauing and that I think is perhaps partly due to some of the um, uh, things that we're doing as governments and as organizations and I'm sure we'll touch on that in a moment, um, that might be, you know, uh, that we're having some kind of deterrent effect. Um, uh, you know, I think it's still it's still hard to tell, but um, it might be, you know, relating to some of the uh, arrests that have happened, some of the global geopolitical situation that we find ourselves in. So I think it's still, a, again, as I said, it's a very dynamic picture, and I'm certainly you know, not complacent from a UK perspective. And, you know, if we were having this conversation a few months from now, you know, we could well be seeing a significant increase again. So I think it's one of those threats that's really always hard to trend over a short period of time. Um, but certainly in, in recent times, again, purely from a UK perspective, I think we're seeing a, a, a relative plateauing of that. Wow. So uh, uh, you mentioned earlier on, Paul, uh, that we had some uh, uh, new tactics and double extortion. So uh, the bad actors, undeniably, in, in all walks of life are, are getting ever more uh, sophisticated. So what type of variants, aside from double, double extortion techniques, are we seeing? And, and how can we work to essentially fight them? Um, well, I think, I mean, you know, ultimately the, the way that they're extorting is is adapting as they find sort of different ways of, you know, making more money or making more money more easily. I think in terms of the tactics that they're using or the technical tactics and techniques, I mean, they still continue to be, I think, ones that, you know, we... we we have recognized for a while. So they're, they're relying on organizations uh, not being uh, suitably patched or up to date or being suitably resilient. Um, you know, we've seen a real increase over the last 12 months, certainly 2021, the number of, you know, zero day um, exploits that were, came into the wild, that sort of time to patch, you know, we saw a lot of cyber criminality using those as a vector into networks. Um, I think we are also seeing um, the trading of credentials for 
network access, be that through VPNs, um, services, or through RDP access into networks, and very often using the criminal marketplace to buy those credentials, then use those to gain access to a network, to then uh, move around and then do the ransomware. Uh, so, you know, yes, you still have the traditional things of, you know, vectors like spear phishing. But I think, you know, the the way that ransomware organizations ultimately have been able to gain access is, is you know, quite broad and not just the sort of perhaps the traditional things that, that people think about. Um, you know, we saw, for instance, um, uh, criminals using things like the exchange vulnerability, uh, you know, last year, you know, very much sort of jumping on those vulnerabilities very quickly to exploit them. And then over a longer period of time, uh, you know, building up those accesses to the point where they can conduct ransomware. So I think, you know, it, it always comes back for me to that sort of core resilience um, and recognizing that, you know, that there's always going to be that window of opportunity for the uh, criminal and trying to you know, keep that window as short, as short and small as possible. Thank you for that. So uh, now uh, you you mentioned earlier on, Paul, that uh, obviously it depends on the uh, uh, on geopolitical situation and also particular geographies because the numbers are quite different, say uh, in the UK as they are in the United States. So talking specifically about the United States uh, to you, Bob. So what do you think uh, the effect will be of uh, initiatives such as the White mm-hmm. House Executive Order? Uh, in terms of successfully fighting ransomware attack, yeah, I think I, I think that order is a, a great first step. Uh, I think in in alignment with uh, you know Paul's assertions, I, I think the government plays a, an important role in raising uh, not only the visibility of this, but putting resources and energy behind uh, initiatives to try to protect not only itself. Um, but also uh, private industry uh, in the country. I think there's a lot of different prongs to it. I mean, in my uh, estimation, I think some of the uh, most important things uh, that it's improving is around uh, reporting and transparency, and and more specifically about sharing information, uh, not only intra-government agency, but also with uh, the private sector, of being able to increase the information flow about these attacks and trying to thwart and uh, counter uh, the potential negative publicity that might be, be that might go with being attacked uh, by c- creating a, an environment that allows transparency and creates a protective uh, uh, mechanism by which companies can be more transparent about any particular attacks because this information is extremely helpful across the board um, and the more that they can facilitate that I think the better off we will. Um, I think also improving the uh, security posture, not only of the U.S. government by putting resources and energy behind it, um, but really strengthening that cooperation between government and private industry. I think that's going to be a a very good outcome of this. Um, We've already seen uh, improvements in that area, especially with our uh, CISA organization uh, and close ties to private industry and a lot of cooperation around uh, around improving our, our techniques, technologies, and intelligence in that area. So overall, I think it's a great first step, but there's certainly uh, more to do in that area. Absolutely. And in fact, I think uh, threat intelligence sharing is uh, is something we, we, we all try to foster as much as we can, but there is never enough of it in, in all industries, I guess. So, so Paul, as, are there any particular uh, UK government initiatives we should pay attention to? 
Yeah, so I think, you know, again, we've been really sort of keen to uh, use our, our sort of understanding of the threat as much as we can to share that and, and use it to have a, a, a sort of a, an active way of defending the, the UK as much as possible. So, uh, you know, we have a range of services under our active cyber defence uh, portfolio that have been looking to tackle some of that ransomware threat. Um, so, for instance, we uh, have a takedown service that effectively looks at taking down at scale um, you know, many of these, uh, many of the servers um, that are being used to target the UK, for instance. Um, and I think that's sort of one initiative we've been also using. Um, we run a, a protective DNS service for the whole of the public sector in the UK. And uh, again, using that to try and stop a lot of the precursor attacks or part of the, the attacks. Um, and I think, you know, so far, you know, really successfully. And I think it shows some, you know, basic cybersecurity measures can really have a significant uh, impact in sort of reducing that harm. A lot of that information, again, is um, is being shared with the, the private sector as well. So, you know, there's definitely, I think, again, uh, you know, more collaboration, uh, you know, Bob touched on it. I think some of those partnerships between government, law enforcement, industry are really important. But internationally, I mean, if you look at um, some of the, the work, again, on the, on the back of the colonial pipeline attack, you know, you had discussions at the G7, uh, you know, when that was in the UK last year. I mean, unheard of before, you know, having world leaders talk about ransomware. And I think that's really sort of shown that you can you can build really powerful coalitions to to have an impact here. So, um, you know, sharing our knowledge um, across you know many different boundaries is definitely a, a key part of the defence to this threat. Excellent, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, certainly great to see that things are moving in uh, in the right direction. So, what steps can organisations at large take in order to stop an attack, and what should corporate governance around ran ransomware look like, and and indeed any other best practice? To you, Bob. Yeah, certainly. So, I think I think there's been uh, quite a lot of. Um, information that's made available by our respective uh, uh, companies and as well as industry around this. And, and generally, I think that the challenge with uh, ransomware, as we touched on a little bit uh, earlier, is that they are very opportunistic. Uh, so they don't choose uh, to always come in the front door. They look for the lowest hanging fruit. So that means that one day it may be a zero day on a particular uh, appliance or, or network appliance that's very prevalent. The, the next day it will be, uh, you know, phishing credentials uh, through some sort of uh, email scheme. And then another day it may even be trying to uh, 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 recruit insiders by tempting them to uh, help you launch an attack by offering them some of the ransom. Um, so, so I think all of those things are, are such a moving target. For me, the the baseline, the best way, the the the, the lowest common denominator is really around uh, two bits. I think one is uh, what you need to do is make sure that you have a business continuity plan uh, on steroids, something that focuses on the threat of ransomware. So traditionally, BCPs really look at sort of a natural disaster, something that might happen in a in a in a single region or a single area. Area. However, ransomware uh, is indiscriminate. It follows the network and it follows your infrastructure. So you need to make sure that your ransomware plan covers 
has a very solid communication plan and assumes that you have absolutely zero corporate infrastructure. And that includes, um, you know, IP phones, emails, uh, anything that you would normally do conduct business you have to assume that's not going to be there. So really having a solid plan around how you're going to communicate and coordinate if an attack happens in your organization. Uh, and the second thing is really focusing on recovery. Uh, as we said, you know, the attack vectors always change, the technology changes, um, you know, the, the different uh, points and, and, and areas where you may be secure one day might be insecure the next day. So the best thing you can do is really focus on recovery, recovery, recovery. Do all of the preparation that you can do to figure out how you can get back up to speed quickly and that you can get services and systems back online as, as fast as possible. Thanks, Bob. So uh, there's always something that's absolutely uh, fascinating me, and uh, and you mentioned that uh, earlier on in this uh, in this chat, which is you know uh, uh, it's it's a question of economics, and uh, and criminals are making a, a lot of money. But the question of uh, paying the ransom or not paying the ransom is a is a difficult one because businesses that are victims are sometimes between a rock and a and a hard place, and indeed some jurisdictions. Uh, have made the payment of ransoms illegal. So uh, what's your your advice on this, Paul? So, I mean, the UK has a, a government has a very sort of clear position in terms of it certainly doesn't um, endorse or uh, recommend the payment of ransomware, uh, ransom uh, in these circumstances. I think ultimately that just fuels the, the ecosystem that, that we're sort of talking about. So, you know, we really do try to work with victims to avoid that. Um, I very much understand, though, that many organizations do find themselves in, in really difficult circumstances. And so I think the sort of criminalizing of ransomware payments is a needs to be a very sensitively sort of considered, uh, you know, option, because really, ultimately, you're, you, you risk penalizing the victim twice. Um, and that's certainly not what we're, you know, we're trying to do here. So I think, you know, th it's an area where um, public policy does have a role to play. Uh, potentially legislation does have a role to play. Um, but it needs to be done uh, in a thoughtful and sensitive way. So as I say, you don't end up um, penalising somebody who's already a victim. Thanks, Paul. So uh, we uh, we're rapidly running running out of of time on this fascinating topic. So uh, what are the next six to twelve months uh, likely to look like for ransomware, Bob? Yeah, so I, I think uh, Paul hit on a, a major point uh, earlier, which is, uh, you know, his recognition that some of these attacks may have been leveling off either through our success um, or to due to geopolitical conditions. Um, and I think that's that's playing a major influence with respect to uh, what we are seeing. Um, I don't think that necessarily changes uh, their uh, their ability to be agile. I think that these groups um, that have that have created this technology have shown an amazing amount of uh, uh, very very good uh, uh, digital um, uh, 
digital competency and, and technical competency to be able to segregate their businesses, to build the technology, to scale it out, to run ransomware as a service, to uh, essentially uh, outsource the, uh, the human component of it to other uh, organizations to be able to launch the attacks while still being able to share the money. And I think that's still, I think that's still going to be prevalent. I think that they're going to continue to remain agile. I think they're continue to, to look for the lowest hanging fruit. Um, however, there is this over overhanging specter of uh, the current world state and world conditions around a lot of uh, countries and areas that um, that are uh, typically associated with sanctions, uh, which is a big attraction for uh, criminal gangs and for other actors that are looking to evade uh, evade uh, certain sanctions. Thank you, Bob. And and for you, what does it look like, Paul? Um, so I think I mean probably you know echoing some of what Bob has said as well. I think so when we look at the the threat over the next certainly twelve months. I mean you have a, a sort of standard development of tradecraft by the criminal actors behind this. I think the increasing professionalization, if you like, that uh, Bob alluded to, that again will continue to improve their tradecraft. Um, so you know it, it's certainly something that I think will will continue to be a, a significant threat. Um, the, the the thing that is really hard to predict, I think, is the geopolitical uh, situation that we find ourselves in and whether some of the uh, criminals behind this see perhaps themselves under less threat of potentially judicial outcomes or retribution um, and, you know, potentially a willingness to be uh, more bold in what they do, take more risks. Um, perhaps go beyond uh, areas where they've, you know, in the past, you know, drawn a line at uh, doing ransomware against, you know, again, whether that's because they feel just purely that it will make more money or even because they potentially see themselves aligned with certain uh, political views or national views. So I think, you know, that that would be the one thing that, you know, um, I think you know, having this conversation in, you know, in another 12 months time, looking back will be the, the thing that I hope we don't see that sort of increase uh, in relation to the to the world situation. Because um, I think that really potentially does change the dynamic of ransomware quite significantly. I think also, you know, potentially, you know, more more state use of ransomware. Um, you know, there, there's been a number of conversations around, um, you know, state actors uh, moving into this space. And again, we just need to be sort of conscious that that potentially is as another dynamic that we need to uh, keep monitoring. Thank you, Paul. And uh, and Bob, we could talk about this for so much longer, but we're nearly running out of time. Uh, so before I let you go, I'm going to ask each one of you for a final top tip for our audience with respect to uh, to ransomware. To you, Bob. Oh yeah, thank you. So I think the the most important uh, aspects of uh, being prepared and understanding your your exposure to ransomware um, is to realize that uh, this is a, a real threat. Um, it is very broad. There is there is no one way to describe it. There's no magic pill. There's no magic tool. Uh, there's no company you can pay um, uh, that will prepare you 100% for this. Um, so your best bet is to follow the best practices. Uh, make sure you practice good cyber hygiene. Um, but as I alluded to earlier, number one is make sure that you have a ransomware plan uh, that includes uh, especially a backbone of communication that doesn't rely upon any of 
your existing infrastructure, uh, including uh, key key actors uh, as well as key communication mechanisms. Uh, and finally, um, the best way to uh, circumvent uh, a particular attack or extortion mechanism uh, is to be able to recover. So make sure that you have your backups, make sure you have them detached, make sure that you're testing them, make sure that you have a way in which you can recognize uh, how you can bring your business back up online uh, in the most expedient and safest way possible. Thank you, Bob. And Paul, what would be your final top tip? Um, so I think, I mean, Bob's laid out a perfect sort of set of uh, things to do there. So I think the only thing I would say beyond that is exercise, 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 exercise. I think, you know, really um, do everything you can to prepare, as, as Bob says, and work this through so that you know exactly what you need to do and, and how you're going to do it. I've worked with a lot of organizations that have had all of those components and done all those things that Bob talks about, but never actually for instance, tested their backup or tested their uh, their response plan. So I think, you know, really do exercise that as well. Uh, there's a lot of tools out there. We, as the NCSC, uh, run a, a free tool called Exercise in a Box, which has ransomware scenarios. And it's really important that organizations do test their plans and exercise for an event that hopefully they never have to face, but should certainly prepare for. Thank you bo both, Rob and Paul. Very wise words indeed. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. Um, you have been listening to the Talis Security Sessions podcast. Today's episode was about ransomware, to pay or not to pay. I've had the privilege of hosting Bob Burns, Chief Product Security Officer at Talis, and Paul Chichester, Director of Operation at the UK National Cybersecurity Centre. Thank you for listening. Love this episode of the Talus Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talusgroup.com to access previous episodes, bringing you insights from industry experts on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening.